Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we're scaling up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. Trace Blackmore here, your host for Scaling Up H2O. And folks, you've asked for it. You've got it. Boy, have you gotten it. The last two weeks, we have spoke about filming amine technologies, and we are not done. We once again have filming amine product expert, Meredy Kabari, to tell us us about using filming amines in other products besides boilers. We're going to be talking today about cooling towers and closed loop systems. Meredy, thank you so much for joining us on a third week in a row. Hey, you are welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, the Scaling Up Nation, as we started out, is they've got a bunch of questions about filming amines. We started out with how do we even call them, you know, the right terms, and we went to how to dose them in boilers, what to expect in boilers. We've talked all things filming amines, but today I want to shift gears, and now that we know that they work in boilers, you said on the first episode, why wouldn't they work with the same type of metallurgy in different systems? So let's talk about those different systems. Where do you want to go first? Do you want to start with closed loop systems? Do you want to start with cooling towers? Uh, let's start with closed loops. Sure, let's do that. All right, so closed loop systems, we now have a system that is not exposed to the atmosphere. It should be recirculating. Hopefully, it's not losing too much water. We're going to talk about systems that we're treating that might have a lot of water loss and what your recommendation for that is. But let me go ahead and set it up this way. So I've got a closed loop system that just has regular metallurgy in it. And by that, I mean no aluminum or no exotic metals in it. So mild steel, copper, we're treating that. Why would I want to switch a program over from a regular nitrite borate azole program to a filming amine product? The easy answer, um, or my easiest answer to this question, is that I don't I don't love nitrate programs because I worry about bugs with nitrate programs. I worry about a reversion or and then having a, a bug buffet. The other piece that of reason why I like filmers rather than conventional chemistry and closed loops is that I go from a couple of products to a product. It's just, it's simplification in for so many different reasons, whether it's how many items you're shipping or how many pumps you need, or, um, you know, just what's your footprint. I like it. I like it for that aspect as well, but really what I've seen with closed loops, and I mean truly closed loops, and or they tell you it's closed loop, but it's really just got some sort of weird lid on a bulk tank, closed loops, is that with filming technology, systems where we've got good microbial control and we have filmers in, they're really hard to upset, if that makes sense. Once we've got control on a system, it's filmed over, it's it's cleaned out, you know, we've done whatever flushes we need to do with it. They really hold pretty steady. And and the maintenance in closed loop treatment drops down pretty dramatically. In the beginning with closed loops, and when we're going through the cleanout process, because it's closed and we don't have like a bleed function unless somebody whoop, like misses a line or something like that, we leak, we do have to flush, right? So the nice thing about boilers and cooling towers is they have a blowdown or a bleed function. And so as we're cleaning up material, we're actively blowing it down a drain. 
And in closed loops, we don't have that same feature. So having some sort of side stream filtration with sock feeders is my favorite option. I mean, it's just my favorite option for cleaning with any closed loop or any chemistry, but especially when we're doing a cleaning with filming amines, that's my preference. But then also get ready to flush the toilet. So you're going to bring it on, you're going to clean it out, you're going to have to flush it, you're going to have to flush it, you're going to have to flush it. Not completely, not every time, but it is just, it's part of the nature of the beast. Well, let me ask you a little bit about that. So let's say I have a pristine closed loop system, so there's no excessive iron or copper in the system. And now I want to move to a filming amine product and I have my nitrite program. Can I just put that on top of it? We have had people that, for whatever reason, they didn't have the ability to um, at least do a partial system flush, and so they had to just go on top of the nitrite program. You you can do that. My preference is not to, but it is it is possible, and you can still function. The thing is, in in what literature will dictate, practical application always a little bit different, but what research has shown is that we have, if we put... Um, a filming amine that functions through like a free radical oxidation type process into a reduced environment, which ultimately is what we've got with the conventional closed loop program. We're just putting not competing chemistries, but competing phenomenons in the same dish. My preference is to not combat that. It just makes it easier. But if we have to, it, it works. I mean, I, I know that there are certain groups that still initially, you know, when we bring on filming amine products and boiler systems, that still keep oxygen scavengers on in there. So it is possible to function. It just, I don't want to compete in, in a practical application sense. For fun, a couple of years ago, I put some filming amine product and some of our diluted to uh, the correct dosage rate of our nitrite borate azole product in a Griffin flask, and I suspended a corrosion coupon in there. And of course, it was all well mixed. It has since stratified, and you can see the definite layers. And I haven't done anything with it. I think it's been in there for about... I want to say at least two years. And that coupon looks as perfect as the day it went in there in both areas. So just for fun, there you go. No, the product will still, I mean, again, it's they still function. It's just preventing potential roadblocks. No, I totally get it. And then if there is an issue, you don't know which one to chase. Yeah. So now we've decided that we're going to go ahead and change the chemistry over to a film, uh, filming amine product. We do that. What's what do we need to know? What information do we need to know to make sure that one, we're using the right product, we're dosing it correctly, where does it need to be fed, all of that sort of stuff? Sure. So with closed loops, I mean, speak with your vendor about what your options are, but I I go based on metallurgy, right? Um, so if we have primarily an aluminum system, I'm going to pick one particular product. If we have truly a mild steel mixed metallurgy system, I'm going to pick a different product potentially. At the end of the day, they both they both will function in both environments. Um, but my preference, especially with aluminum, because she's a fickle girl, um, is that we um, we play to pH as much as possible. So that's thing number one is we just pick we pick the product based on what we're working into. The second thing that I would say is I if you've got a pop feeder, um, that's a perfect place to apply. 
If you know you're going to be dealing with a lot of water loss, I'd say put a meter on your makeup and simplify your life. Just meter um, chemistry in as as water gets used and consumed. If you have truly a closed system, which I think of all of the closed loop systems, I've seen like a handful of truly closed systems every life. <laughs> if you have truly a closed system, you don't necessarily, you don't need to do the, the metering process, but I'm just saying, you know, simplify yourself, um, your job if you can, if it's an option. So you can start, start metering in, in that way. And again, you can go straight into your, your side stream pop feeder if, if that's available to you. And then my recommendation um, is always to have some sort of filtration because it will help you with, through your cleanout process. And in the beginning, with a closed loop, whether it's truly closed or it's a semi-open sort of you know system, with water loss is get ready to swap filters in the beginning. Your filters are going to be your best friend and potentially get really gross for a while. So one of we talked about KPIs and boilers. Well, one of our KPIs in closed systems is metals of interest, right? And so how do we know if our metals of interest are actually improving and our corrosion rate is in, um, changing with the application of this particular type of chemistry if we don't get whatever we've released, remobilized, right, released from a surface out of that system? So for insolubles, filters, and then for solubles, flushes. And it really is a great demonstration when you recommend that you change to a product like this and you keep your customer informed and then you can show them of all the things that you're cleaning up out of their system. And that's going to translate into more efficient heat transfer for them and hopefully less bills that they're paying to have to, you know, go through that insulation that all that crud is creating. Mary, I got to tell you that the filming amine products are some of the best cleaners that I have ever seen. I mean, that's all they know how to do is clean and anything that's on that metal surface, they're going to pop in there and pop off whatever's sticking to it. And I think I can tell you that uh, if you don't have a filter in a closed loop system, you're going to wish that you did. That's what I tell people. You can either do it now and say thank you, or you can do it later and say, I should have listened. Right. And if you listen, it's such a great show and tell because if you keep your customer informed that, hey, this is what we're doing, this is what the expectation is. And by the way, when we clean all this stuff off, it's going to make your heat transfer equipment more efficient, which translates in is you don't have all this insulation that you're trying to transfer heat through, which is going to be less energy bills that you're going to have to spend. And then when you can actually take that bag filter to them and say, look what we got out of your system. And they think, oh my gosh, you're a magician. Yep. It's all about making you look good, man. That's right. That's what it's all about. And you heard it here on Scamming Up H2O. So uh, I did the paper and we referred to the paper that I did back in the 2018 convention with the Association of Water Technologies. But one of the coolest things that I was able to see, and I took pictures and they're in my paper from that experiment, was I had a filter feeder and the lid was the most beautiful black magnetite that you have ever seen from the program that we were using. And then we actually did, we flushed the system 
We made sure that there was nothing in there because honestly, I didn't want to give the film naming product any credit from the previous product. I wanted to be able to report on just swapping that out. But what we saw was over time, it started cleaning that magnetite off. And that was just so cool to me. And if you go to my paper, you can see like 10 pictures of the lids where it's getting clean, getting more clean, more clean, more clean. And it's still not completely clean today, but it's definitely taken that stuff off. Well, it smooths it out, right? And that's, we talked about this, um, I think in the first podcast, when we were talking about the function of filming amines and what do they really do? And I said, it fosters smooth, compact magnetite layers. So initially what you observed was, oh, well, we've, we've formed black magnetite. Like this is a great thing. But then over time, it smoothed that layers out. We went from the Rockies to the rolling plains concept, right? And so, I mean, I, I love it. I love the, it, it's such an easy visual observation of success and that you're continuing to get to experience that. But that's, that phenomenon is ultimately what you're seeing. And you're exactly right. That's what helps facilitate the heat transfer improvement. Let's talk about dosages because last week we were talking about if we had a fouled boiler, we probably wanted to cut that a little bit. Is that the same mentality that we want to take with this approach? Yeah, actually, I tell everybody with closed loops to, to follow the same regime, that slow and low concept. And partly it's for the same reason, right? It's a, we don't want to mobilize so much so fast that we can't keep up with the clean out. I mean, it's going to be a little bit of work, but I don't want it to be a headache, right? The other piece of that though, is that I know we're going to be flushing systems. And what I don't want to have anybody do is put some chemistry in and then have to flush out active material still. I want for them to put chemistry into a system let that chemistry be used up, whether that's through filming or through cleaning. And then let's flush the debris out of the system that we don't want in the system. And then let's put more chemistry in and allow the chemistry to do its job. I mean, I do have two children, you know, and a mortgage. So by all means, put in as much chemistry as you want <laughs> because the kids are expensive. But in the best interest of you and your customer and your business, I would say, being mindful of the rate of application and clean out um, is not a bad way to go. Well, let's ask about that. So is there such a thing as too much in the system? Do we need to worry that now we've quadrupled the recommended dosage rate? Is that going to be an issue? Well, first of all, that's expensive. So there's that is an issue. But the other, the other piece of that is like, let's say we have a mold injection facility, okay? And we're running through, like, which we use filming amine in a lot of mold injection. I actually really like filming technology and mold injections. And the mold guys love me, which I never, ever thought that that would be a statement that I would make. But why am I here with mold guys? <laughs> because um, we end up caring for mold. With the use of the filming technology, we end up with less mold corrosion as well, right? But... The caveat to that and what we were originally discussing is if you if you overtreat a system, if you think, well, one gallon is great, so five gallons is just going to kill it, right? Yeah, it's got to be better. It's, it's more. It's got to be better. Bigger is better. Well, sure, unless you plug a line. So that whole concept of filtration and we can only remove so much so fast and, you know, you got to be able to be there to keep an eye on things a little bit or, you know, going back at whatever frequency in the beginning to be turning a system over. 
the last thing I want is for your facility to call you and say, hey, you plugged one of my injection lines with your clean out. So a little bit of slow and low in the beginning, again, is just prevention, prevention of headache. Well, you brought her up earlier, the Saucy Mistress Aluminum. So now let's say we're adding aluminum into the mix. What now? Well, my first argument is to go after whoever thought that was a good idea. Right? How about we take a moment and the Scale It Up Nation say, hey, let's put aluminum, which is a light metal. It's an inexpensive metal. It has very good heat transfer, but it's impossible to treat. What were people thinking? Okay, I'm off my soapbox now. Okay, I get it though. The thing is, is with filming amines, it's it's really not impossible to treat. She just is a fickle girl. You know, you have to talk to her a little bit different. We can treat effectively uh, aluminum and systems with filming technology. What's, I think, inherently been challenging about aluminum is that it functions well with a different set of parameters, right? So we take copper and, and mild steel, and that functions really well at a, at a, within a, a, a specific set of parameters. And aluminum is just doesn't fall in that category. So then we throw aluminum into the mix and everything that we knew and held true to how we treat with conventional chemistry doesn't necessarily go out the window, but it, we definitely have to change to play the game. The nice thing about filming amines is that the filming amines really don't care. They don't care if it's mild steel. They don't care if it's copper. They don't care if it's aluminum. So if we go in with filming technology, then we can just film them over and protect it that way. Now, there are different products that, you know, over time we have developed to address it a little bit more specifically if need be. But at the end of the day, I've watched the same product be just as highly functioning in what I would consider an aluminum-based system, where it's primarily aluminum as I have watched it be effective in a mixed metallurgy system where there's mild steel, copper, and aluminum, and whatever the hell else they threw in there. Oh, can I say that word? Sorry. You just said it. That's good. I think water treaters know that word. Okay. okay. <laughs> if not, I apologize for offending. But aluminum is less of a concern to me, I guess, now than it ever was before, if that's a good way. No, I think that's a great way of answering it. So, uh, you know, it, it is a technology. Can, can I call filming the mean products a technology? Is that okay to do? Oh, no, that's absolutely what they are. It's no difference. So it's a technology that's allowed us to be able to treat something that conventionally we were not able to treat. We had parameters where we were able to treat the mild steel and copper or the aluminum. We couldn't do both. We had to sacrifice one to treat the other, and normally that was sacrificing the mild steel and the copper so we could protect the aluminum properly. We've had really good success with using these products in those systems, and I find it interesting that so many people out there are still a little apprehensive to try that, and they're still using some of the conventional chemistries. Anything you want to say to them? Uh. I think you're normal. <laughs> That's what I, <laughs> I think it's it's totally understandable. Um, and I think that for the majority of our community that's having those those feelings, it's understandable um, because we've all been burned by it, <laughs> right? And so to think at least I may not be performing off the charts with conventional chemistry, but I at least understand it right? It makes sense to me and I know what I'm getting myself into. 
even if that means me accepting the fact that it's not going to be the best, that I maybe not going to always fall under ASME standards for mills per year, whatever. There's a, a comfort in knowing what I'm getting myself into. And to that, I say solidarity, right? I get it. But the flip side of that is that I, I would just encourage you, if, if you're feeling brave, to step just a little bit outside of your comfort zone. We know enough now and how these things function and um, we can help walk you through with operating procedures, how to go through a program switch and let us try. Let us give you a chance at making a change and being as successful as possible. And, and you might be surprised. You might be surprised at how we're able to help improve your bottom line as a business, how we're able to help improve your optics with your end users and honestly, potentially help you gain new business because perhaps there were environments or bids that you might not want to go out for because you thought to yourself, gosh, I just don't, I don't want to put my name on something where I feel inevitably like it might fail and then have that, you know, be part of your reputation. Um, let us help you flip that and, and go after business that maybe otherwise you never would have gone after and help increase your profitability in those situations. Well, you mentioned in your statement standards and corrosion standards. So let's talk about corrosion coupons because in boilers, we really don't have that option, but in closed loop systems, and we're getting ready to talk about cooling towers, we do have that option to run corrosion coupons. So what are some realistic numbers that we can expect if we use a filming amine program, it's working properly, what are the average mils per year of corrosion that we would see in mild steel, copper, and aluminum? I guess I, I honestly haven't sat down and calculated through it with all of the data that we've been sent over time. I've never sat down and averaged anything out. What I can tell you is typically what our customers say. Does that work? Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't prepare you for this. You didn't know I was going to ask this question, but I thought I'd have the opportunity since you said it. So there you go. Yeah, no, 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 no. That's fine. It's fine. I like corrosion coupons and I like correlators. I, I like anything where we can actively monitor corrosion rate and success or failure, right? I, I, I think that they're important tools. Um, with coupons, I think the biggest piece actually in, in being able to monitor rate of success is um, don't put them on when you're cleaning out. Wait till you're done cleaning out a system. Wait until you moved into a maintenance phase where you're just kind of smooth sailing operationally and then put your coupon rack in. Uh, we've seen all sorts of goofy things with filming and means during clean out, even if you've got filters in, even if you control flow rate like you're supposed to, where we can get basically false negatives on how a system's actually operating because we're cleaning out. So your filmers are going to cleaning out, you know, more than they are into your protection or, or giving you any sort of realistic expectation with a coupon. Um, that being said, the coupon rates where we have gotten information, I say for the most part, every now and then we get an oddball one, um, but are, are under ASME limits where people come back and say, I've never actually seen water beat on a coupon and, and look at this picture where the water is beating on the coupon. Or they say, you know, these are some of the best coupons I've ever seen. And this is what my rates were. I apologize. I don't remember numbers off the top of my head. Um, but for the most part, those are the types of conversations that we have 
with coupons. Now, that being said, not every coupon conversation has always been full of rainbows and unicorns. Every now and then we do have one where it's like, gosh, my copper and my aluminum look really good, but for whatever reason, my mild steel is wonky, you know? To which my response is, all right, well, let's do a second set, first of all. Let's see if, you know, we just had an oddball set up. Like, let's make sure that it that this is a consistent pattern that we see and not just a, a one, one-off, we just got a goofy one issue. And then the really easy, in my opinion, way to solve that problem is let's address our dose. So let's say you have a system that's a closed loop, but they deal with water loss and you know, any other variables that we can imagine, then maybe for that system, what we would typically be dosing for, for, you know, maybe 90% of the rest of the systems on the planet, um, maybe that system needs just a little bit higher dose. And maybe we need to bump it by 20 parts per million. We can start looking at situations like that to make sure that we're covered across the board. Not and not just with coupons, but also making sure that ultimately what we're doing is protecting the system. Is there iron in the rest of the system? Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And thank you for explaining that to us. Like I said, I, I didn't give you any time to pull data so you could do that, but I think you did a great job in explaining that and let us know what we can expect. I get a lot of questions from other water treaters wanting to know if they can use this product with glycol. Any issues there? So I can't speak for every filming mean vendor. Um, I can only speak for us. I can tell you with us, we don't have any issues with um, application with glycols. And that my recommendation is just that you would apply the glycol as you always have. And then you would apply your filming amine as you always have. You don't, because you're dealing with glycol, you don't modify your filmers. You don't modify your glycol because you're dealing with filmers. Just this is how much glycol you need for freeze protection. This is how much filming amine we need to treat the size of a system. We go forward from there. Um, the only thing that I would caution anybody about is, and again, talk to your glycol vendor, right? Is that usually glycols come inhibited. They come with some sort of inhibitor package in them. And because I can't speak for the rest of the world and what type of inhibitor package they have in those glycols, I can't always say beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's not potentially going to be a negative interaction between that inhibitor package in the glycol and the filmers. So talk to your vendor um, for filmers and talk to your glycol vendor. Make sure that um, you either are getting uninhibited glycol or um, just that your, your vendors are willing to communicate so that we don't run risk of, of some whoopsie. Didn't see that? <laughs> there you go. Whoopsies are never good. No, nobody likes those. So when I did my tests, my evaluation for the paper that I wrote for that we've mentioned a couple times on this show, one of the things that I tried to do being clever so I could trace how much product was in the system is I went ahead and added by weight the PTSA so we could get a correlation with how much PTSA was in there versus how much product we fed. That being said, it failed miserably. Uh, yeah, when uh, I, I want to say that the top dose we wanted to reach was 3,000 of this particular product. And I went ahead and, and put the PTSA in the product. So that way, when uh, it reached PTSA, we were going to be at like 150 parts per billion. Well, when we put, we quartered the dose, when we put a quarter of the dose. Wait, 150 parts per million of what? Of PTSA or of the? 
product of the filming amine product. So the filming amine product was at 3000 parts per million once it was dosed to its recommended level. Okay. So what I did was I went ahead and tagged it with enough PTSA. So when it reached 300 parts per million as product, we would see 150 parts per billion as PTSA. So I did this and uh, I went ahead and used weight and uh, I'm the math guy, so I know I got my math right. I put it in there and we quartered the dose. And then uh, my paper was showing the observations that we had as we came back every two weeks and had an additional quarter dose. Well, the first dose we put in there, we exceeded the limits of the meter, which I believe is 300 parts per billion. So we found out very quickly that PTSA and filmin products do not play well with each other. Have you found that as well? Sure. Yes. I mean, the easy answer is yes. So here's the thing is, is let's break it down into a couple different concepts. First and foremost, what does PTSA actually tell you? Tells you how much product you've put in a system, right? So let's take a conventional chemistry. Let's take a polymer. I don't know. I'm just picking something, right? And I can put PTSA in my polymer product and I can add that. And then rather than having to measure the polymer in solution, I can measure just PTSA in solution. What does that number actually tell me? What it actually tells me is how much product I've theoretically added. Does it tell me if I've added enough polymer to serve a purpose or to serve the purpose of the function that I needed to serve? I don't know, maybe. Yeah, but it's, it's a guess. You don't know. And you don't know how much used up. You don't know how much is available. I totally get it. You don't. So the same thing is going to hold true with applying it in, with filming amine technology. The kicker, right, with applying it with filming amine technology is that not only now are we taking basically a how much did we dose measurement. So it's, it's, an, it's still an indirect measurement, which is fine. I'm not saying don't use PTSA for things. I'm saying think critically about what you're using and why you're using it and what can it tell you right? That's all I'm saying. PTSA people are going to come at me. <laughs> You're safe. You're amongst friends. <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm saying is in the world of filming amines, now we're saying how much product have you added to a system, but we still can't measure, we're not even measuring um, something in solution anymore. We're measuring something that's on a surface. So we're not even treating aqueous chemistry anymore. We're treating surface chemistry. We're treating surface area. So how much product have you added? Maybe your, maybe your part per billion reading is 150 uh, for your PTSA. Okay. What does that tell you about what's happened to the surface? Absolutely nothing, right? So my issue with, with PTSA is that I don't want it to either give you a false sense of reality or have it give you a, a false sense of, well, either success or failure. Well, I added this much. You're, you're right. You did add that much. But what has actually happened, right? So the best way to look at what's actually happened is to look at metals of interest for key performance indicator, right? Metals of interest and pH and do I or do I not have a residual? Residual in the world of filming technology, there, there's a few things that analytically speaking, we have to hold constant. We don't necessarily have to like them, but we have to hold constant. And in the world of filming technology and determining if there's all of the surface area is filmed, residual is the way that we can conclusively do that. 
Now, there are other indicators to let us know whether that we are being successful or we are failing. But residual at the end of the day for that particular performance indicator is, is the one that we've got. By all means, if somebody way smarter than me wants to come up with a different option, have frickin' at it. <laughs> I hear you. So with that, the thing that I found so interesting, and, and I totally agree with you, that's only saying how much we fed. It doesn't really say what it's doing in the system. Yeah. So that being said, the thing that I found most interesting about that was the fact that there seemed to be something that was interfering with that, where I was getting way too much than what I actually put in the system as PTSA. So I was getting some added interference in with whatever else was in that product. When I brought it back to my lab, because that's what I do and I'm a fellow nerd, is I tried to break that down to see when I could dilute it out and not get that interfere. And it was very difficult to do. I never really found a point. So, and, and then as I started talking to other people and, and with the results that I received, it wasn't linear interference. So it wasn't just like I can say, okay, subtract this out. I'm just curious, did you, have you seen that as well? Here's the kicker with filming amines, right? They do exactly what we say they do, right? We talked in the beginning about nomenclature based on a function. Filming means film. So the longer something is sitting in a, in, in a, a container, piece of glassware, whatever you want to call it, the more you're going to deal with loss in that system. Or right, it's just a little system. It's a beaker, it's, it's an Erlenmeyer, but there is surface area and it's going to film the glass. So if you take that a step further, and you do some sort of serial dilution to the point where what you were ultimately, what you're talking about, the phenomenon you're talking about, and any of your analytical testing vendors should be able to talk to you about this. But the phenomenon that you're talking about are, are limitations of the test, right? And sometimes a limitation of a particular assay is what other ions are in solution that could potentially give you a false positive or a false negative, whether it's iron or calcium or, I don't know, pick an ion, Right. So what you're saying to me is, or what I'm hearing you say is, there was something in solution in that system that was interfering, that was causing an interference with your PTSA test, okay? So what you did with your filming amine sample was take it back to the lab and then try to do a series of serial dilutions or analytical manipulations, honestly, in the end, to determine at what rate does that ion interfere? And can I identify what my interfering ion is? And ultimately, I think part of what your challenge was, and I say this because um, I can't tell you how many people, our lab included initially, um, struggled with this phenomenon is, okay, how do we create a set of standards with a product where we are knowingly going to lose product to the surface. So Trace, every time you diluted it out, every time you transferred one container to another and gave it any amount of contact time, you were losing what you were actually looking for. Well, in this specific case, it wasn't so much that I was looking for the filming amine, I was looking for the PTSA residual. Sure. No, and I get that. But in, in, in honestly, like it would take a different, I mean, a different level of organic chemist than myself, right? to really look at it because I've never studied this phenomenon specifically. But what's the interaction between PTSA and filming amines? Is there, I mean, let's look at those molecules critically and say, okay, based on the structure of this beast and based on the structure of this beast, could there be a reaction there? 
And so we're actively pulling one out of, out of quote unquote solution because we're reacting the two together. Right. Um, that's just chemistry. And so, um, that was really anticlimactic of me. That's just chemistry. Uh, but it, it, it is what it is. And so not only are we potentially losing to surface, but let's say, I mean, I'm just honestly theorizing, for example, sake right now, let's say PTSA did happen to over time react with filming amines, but then those filming amines still had the ability to attach to a surface. Well, then what you've done is you've taken that complex and attached it to a surface. And when you check your solution, all of a sudden your PTSA levels are dropping off. Okay, well, that's because they're on the surface now. I don't know. I'm honestly just postulating. Understood. Understood. I was just curious, since I had access to you, that was something that I did in my lab because I nerd out on stuff like that. I was just curious on if you had a take for that. All right. So that being said, let's move over to cooling towers. So it works in boilers. Why not stick it in closed loops? Hey, it works in closed loops. Why not stick it in cooling towers? Now, what do we need to know if we're going to switch our regular phosphonate or phosphate program to a filming amine product chemistry? Okay. First thing I would say with Cooling towers. Cooling towers are kind of my muse. I'm fascinated with them because there's just a different level of control that we can get or that I see, I guess, in in the market with boilers and with closed loops that we don't see as much with cooling towers. We're basically very much at the mercy <laughs> of whatever water we're given in the world of cooling towers. And so what I like about these products in cooling towers is that we've successfully treated some of the most corrosive environments that I've ever seen. And we've, the flip side of that is um, we've successfully treated some of the, the most scaling environments that I've ever seen. You know, my, my initial goal with cooling water chemistry is always first and foremost, you know, protect the system, but truly how can we save water? How can we use less water? How can we, you know, have, have a smaller environmental impact in, in what we're applying? And I'm a kid from Colorado, right? Where water for a big part of the year is kind of rare. So setting up a system where we can be as successful as possible and use as little resources as possible is important to me. And with filming amines, I feel like we've really been able to cross the gamut. That being said, we haven't always been able to be the most economic option. So no different than we've talked about in other systems, you know, knowing what problem you're trying to solve is vital and in identifying what needs to be done in order to have it be a marker for success. But um, in, in cooling towers, we've successfully treated and filmed no different than we have in the other areas. And I think honestly, actually one of the coolest things I've seen with towers is that since we don't get to dip them, the galvanized metals anymore, since we don't get to dip them the way that we used to for environmental reasons and not wanting babies to glow in the dark. <laughs> sure, that's always a, a good thing to avoid. <laughs> Conventionally passivating towers um, to prevent right rust is, is inherently a, a tricky process. And I can't tell you how many teams we've worked with where even during their passivation process, would they see white rust start to form? 
and basically, um, initially this process started because we basically said, well, why not? You know, the other option's not working, so let's try it. But we've been able to, rather than just conventionally passivate towers, um, we've gone in with filming technology and just filmed from the very beginning. And in those cases, we've we've been able to actively protect those towers and, and not just see prevention of white rust, but in some cases, even remove it. So in that situation, will the product continue to be fed indefinitely or once it's passivated, can you switch it to another technology? Uh, no, it's if you're on a filming program and you're in a tower and you were not ever conventionally passivated, you need to stay on a filming program. The films are relatively stable. There's literature out there. You can look it up. But if you let's say, you know, for whatever reason, your customer comes to you and says no more filming means I want to switch programs or something like that. I don't know why they would, but you never know. Then you're going to need to take that tower through um, a conventional passivation program because eventually the film will will come off and, and you'll need some form of protection on there. All right. Well, that's uh, good to know. So let's say now we've decided to replace our program and we decided that we were going to work with somebody, find the right uh, filming amine product. So now we're going to switch that over. Is that just like we did with the boiler where we're going to set aside our old chemistry and put the new filming amine product to work for us? Yes. The only, the only part of that conventional program that I would say you still will need um, is an antimicrobial. You're still going to need a biocide. All right. So with filming amine products, will they work with both oxidizers and non-oxidizers? Yes, they do. You can use um, either or both. You can do still do a dual program. No different than any other inhibitor chemistry. Not all inhibitors play well with all antimicrobials. So make sure you talk to your vendor about what antimicrobials function well with their cooling tower inhibitor product. Does that make sense? I think it does. Now, I've heard of some manufacturers blending some sort of uh, microbicide in with the amine. Have you heard of this as well? So I do know that there are some manufacturers out there that have an EPA registration um, as an antimicrobial or as their filming product is inherently a biocide. The only thing I would say about that is that, you know, it, talk to that vendor about that. And make sure that you also know then that you, if you're going to apply that type of product, that you are subject to conforming to whatever EPA uh, rules therein lie. So over the last two weeks, we've spoken a lot about filming amines in other systems. And so now we know how to treat filming amines in boilers. We also know how to do them into closed loop systems. Is there anything that's new or specific when we just talk about cooling towers? For the most part, for fundamental understanding and application, I would say no. The biggest piece would be an antimicrobial, what antimicrobial or antimicrobials are you using? If you're in a state where it's sensitive to antimicrobial documentation laws, making sure that you still comply, in which case talk to your vendor about your whatever your water management plan is, um, making sure that you are following all the rules. We do see the here's a here's a goofy thing. I mean it's not goofy, it's it's kind of cool, but it, it it allows you to actually see it differently in cooling towers with calcium scales. We, we get to actually actively observe chunks come off. 
right? In boilers, it's kind of a closed contained environment. In closed loops, we get to see filter socks, right? But if you have a scaled over distribution deck and you start using filming means for an online cleaning and then corrosion inhibition application, we start seeing hunks, if you will. Hunk, I think is an appropriate term. We can use it. Why not? (laughs) Hunks of carbonate scales removed from those surfaces. We also see if you've got, um, you know, whatever corrosion um, and little corrosion cells. A lot of times we've actually watched an, an entire little hunk of, of that metal be removed, which, you know, I get can be kind of concerning. But if that's our goal and we've, you know, dealt with redeposition in an area where we didn't want it, and then we're slowly but surely cleaning out either a dead leg or a low flow area, um, watching that actively be removed is actually kind of gratifying and something that we don't necessarily get to see in the other areas. Would I choose a different chemistry if I were going over a system that was highly corroded versus highly scaled? No, actually. So the filmers will still clean and then they'll film. Ultimately, it kind of all happens simultaneously, but it's just easier to explain it that way. Where we make a differentiation in what cooling tower product would you prefer to have is actually what are your discharge requirements? So we have a low P and a P-free option because there are some municipalities, states, you know, pick your favorite, whatever, um, regulatory agency where they say in this area, you can't have any phosphate discharge for whatever reason. And in that case, that would drive me towards one product over another. We have a product that is a conventional, what I would consider our most common product, that is a filming immune product that has a calcium inhibitor and has a biodispersant in it. And it's really good for for systems where um, we're still dealing with hardness ions. But we also are seeing more and more and more pre-treated cooling systems where they're softening them or they're putting ROs on those systems for whatever reason, right? We're seeing really, really corrosive cooling system environments. And in that case, we have an alternative product where the, the biodispersant and maybe the calcium inhibitor is just not necessary. And so we have an option available for, for that type of, of system. Mary, let me ask you about that because we specifically have a system where we are feeding a product and the filming amine residual, it's not where we feel it should be based on how much we're feeding of the product or the phosphonate that we're testing. That is way higher than we normally see in systems. Can you give us any advice with that? So my first response is talk to your vendor, ask them. Maybe this is something that they're familiar with and they can help you navigate it. The other piece of that answer is don't pigeonhole yourself into one testing result. What does your iron look like? Are you scaling? Does the rest of the system, is it, is it clean, clear, colorless, odorless? You know, pick your favorite point, you know, markers for, am I determining whether or not this is a functioning program or not? And if you're hitting all of those markers and this one piece seems to not be falling into place, then I'm not as worried about the one piece not falling into place. However, if you're getting what I would consider maybe ambiguous or unusual results, and you have indications of corrosion, and you have maybe your your mineral balance, maybe your calcium, what's coming in and what's going out, 
are not balancing or your chlorides are not balancing or, you know, pick your favorite way to determine whether or not you're having some sort of scaling indication. If those are not lining up, then I would say, look at your dose. Maybe the dosing is just not appropriate for the the water chemistry needs of that facility. That's good advice. I appreciate that. I want to say we've done those things, but we're still, it just doesn't quite make sense. But I love what you say, you know, make sure you're including your supplier so they can guide you along the way. So I will definitely make sure that we do that. Something else I wanted to ask that you brought up, uh, of course, we're all about saving water. The water treatment industry was the original green industry. We were saving water before people even knew to save water. That being said, can we anticipate a higher concentration ratio with using a filming amine product than with a conventional product? I've seen it go both ways. I, I've seen where we've been able to turn up number of cycles and conserve water. And I've seen scenarios where we ended up um, improving corrosion rates, right, and improving scaling issues, but not necessarily being able to push um, the limitations with regards to how much water we're actually using. So I've seen both. And in the world of cooling tower or evaporative condenser, whatever, cooling type applications, what we've been doing in the United States um, is kind of new, right? In, in wanting, in bringing in, it, or it's newer than, if you will, all of the experiences that we have with boiler chemistry. So there's not as much literature written up on how to push the boundaries on LSI. I think that it's a real opportunity for teams like yours and teams like ours to work together, put together a design of experiments and really publish and bring forward to the world, um, to the community, um, what can be done in the world of cooling towers. There's definitely information out there, but there's this is an area in filming immune technology application where there's absolutely room for growth and development. Well, I welcome that opportunity. So we'll have to see what we can do to improve that information and get it out there. Yeah. And there, I mean, there are teams that have, have done it and are doing it. I just am saying there's, there's room for more. I hear you. We didn't talk about this with boilers, so I want to talk about it now. So uh, we're replacing our old products with this new technology, and we've already purchased chemical feed pumps that we're just going to put these amine products underneath. And I know I've heard from Scaling Up members that they have done this, and the Viton rings have started to disintegrate. So with a boiler, maybe that's not such an issue because they've already selected the right compatibility for those products, and those are more similar to the filming amine product. But let's talk about the cooling tower, and let's just talk about what type of material compatibility do we need to make sure that we have when we're pumping a filming amine product? Sure. So first and foremost, all elastomers, all materials of construction have certain chemistries that they do and don't play well with, right? Uh, we would never put acid into a steel drum, right? Not for long, anyway. That's exactly right. Not for long. Um, so the same thing holds true with any kind of amine technology, making sure you have the right materials compatibility. We know that filming amines or the filming amine products in particular, there's a, there's a history of them obviously not playing well with Viton. That's why that one gets brought up. Sometimes, um, not all the times, but sometimes I've seen an issue with even high-density polyethylene, right? usually where we see issue is exactly what you're saying. It's in a pump. It's when the products are in their concentrated form, right? So making sure your pump head materials are compatible with 
your products are important no matter what product you're applying. My preference with filming, I mean, anything for O-rings, for gaskets, for whatever, is just Teflon. I get that we can't always do that. And that sometimes we move into systems where, honestly, we can't get any information on what our our seals or our gaskets or whatever are made of. Um, but my preference is just, it's just Teflon. Teflon tubing exists, Teflon O-rings, Teflon gaskets, whatever. If that's not an option, what I would actually encourage you to do is speak with your, whoever your supplier is for your pumps. I can't tell you how many different pump vendors I've looked up. They all have material compatibility sheets on their websites. A lot of times they're like relatively decently sized documents where, you know, it's got a circle for yes or for no. Is it compatible with this? Yes or no, whatever is talk to them and and just make sure that you have the right materials in there so that you don't, I mean, I can't tell you how many pump heads I've pulled apart. I mean, it just, just part of the game. Well, I, I wanted to bring that up because I have heard that that's been an issue with other water treaters. But folks out there, you just got to consider, you know, you're cha- you're, I want to use this pump because they've already bought it, but you're changing the chemistry that you're using. So you have to make sure that it's compatible. And anytime that you change something, you're going to have to change how you do something. And something that's just come to mind is, uh, you know, a lot of people are testing conductivity and pH that's going to get filmed out as well. So we actually use isopropyl alcohol after we test where we're using filming amine products. So we keep that meter nice and clean. Otherwise, that glass probe is going to be coated with the filming amine. Uh, Have you heard that as well? Do you give advice like that? Absolutely. Cleaning probes, cleaning your analytical tools and making sure that they're calibrated is a vital part of you being successful anyway. But if you've got inline sensors, right, if you're using inline sensors, whether it's a pH probe or a conductivity probe or whatever, the reality of the situation is some of them do film. Not all of them film. There's actually, there's papers out there about um, sensors and which ones seem to film more readily than others. And I mean, there's there's information that, that can definitely be looked into here, um, which I would encourage anyone to do. But the easiest path of least resistance is that alcohols and low pH remove films. So when you're cleaning your sensors, your probes, or whatever you're using, I would use whatever cleaning material you or cleaning solutions you use for your glassware, as long as they are also compatible materials to clean your probes. That's how I would facilitate cleaning your your analytical instrumentary tools. Great advice. Well, this has been so informative. We know all about filming amines now, filming amine products. Thank you so much for all of the time that you've spent. I'm not quite done with you yet. I did want to ask you, I give people the opportunity, you know, if there was one thing, and I probably should have done this with each and every episode, but we've had three episodes now. So if somebody just tuned in right now, they didn't hear anything else, what's the one thing you want the listener to get out of it? About filming technology. Cool. I would say this. Filming technology is, is not only coming, but it's, it's arrived. And it's arriving in, in force. Because it, it works in ways that conventional chemistry just doesn't. I'm not saying it's the be-all, end-all. I'm not saying that conventional chemistry is going to go away. What I'm saying is is that you can either make a decision and get ahead of the curve, learn how to use it now, have it be a part of of your toolbox and, and build it into your business, or you can compete against it unknowingly. 
So my recommendation to our community is, is educate yourself, get familiar with it, be comfortable with it so that if you're competing against it, you know how. If you're using it and applying it actively in your product line, you know how. But I do think, I really, really think that we're going to experience a shift in how we approach water treatment in this in this country with regards to environmental components, what we are and are not allowed to use, and also with water usage and water shortages as we see them in in different areas. And so knowing how to actively apply these as either part of your base business or as a part of a tool if you need one is important. So start reading, um, talk to your vendors, whatever, but, but educate yourself so that you're ready for that shift. That is great advice. Well, Meredith, now is the point of our interview where we go into the lightning round. So are you ready for the lightning round? Oh, I'm so excited. I love lightning rounds. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> All right. I wish I had a buzzer for you, but I don't. All right. So uh, you now have the ability to go back in time and visit with yourself on your very first day as working with filming Amin products. What advice would you give yourself? Oh, to just take a deep breath. <laughs> I put a lot of pressure on myself. I think a lot of us do. Um, we want so badly to to help people be successful. And um, all I wanted was whether the product worked or the product didn't work. I just wanted my guys to look good. And I can't tell you how much sleep I lost wondering if I was going to get an email or a text or a phone call with someone needing something because I had heard all these horror stories. And I, I wish that I had had honestly just a little bit more faith in myself and a little bit more faith in my guys that we were going to be able to work through this and, and solve problems together and um, that it was okay. I could just go to bed. <laughs> there you go. What are the last few books that you've read? Uh, well, last night I read Dr. Seuss's ABCs. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> last books that I had the opportunity to read though. Um, I read Girl, Wash Your Face, which was delightful. I really liked that one. And I actually read, <laughs> this is silly, but it's, it's called A Birth in Four Cultures. I'm interested in in different cultures and communities and the way women labor and deliver. Um, and it looks intimately at um, a couple different cultures and, and what that process is like for those people, for women. Interesting. Yeah. Eventually, Hollywood is going to make a movie about your life. Who plays you? Um, okay. A cartoon, probably. Probably like Miss Piggy. <laughs> <laughs> interesting choice. I will tell you, you're the only guest that has ever gone to a cartoon. So you get extra points for that. Well, she's, I mean, it makes sense. You're, she's exciting, but you're also kind of left wondering what the hell just happened. So I feel like she's appropriate. All right. Well, there you go. Okay. And now my final question. So you can now talk to anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? I think I would, maybe this is going to sound boring. But rather than talk with like a famous person in particular, I think it'd be interesting to talk to the lay people that lived around them. Right. So I could talk to one of Henry VIII's wives. I could talk to Anne Boleyn or I could speak with a wet nurse that like cared for her and what was life really like. Or I could speak with Buddha 
and, you know, get his answer on what his life was like. Or I could speak with the people that just had the opportunity to live in their, his presence and what was life like for them. I think we, a lot of times get really wrapped up in an individual as a leader, but I I always just kind of wonder what's life like. I mean, that's one guy, right? It's one lady. What was it like for the rest of everyone else? No, that's a great take on that question. And and who knows what information we're leaving out because we don't know their story. Yeah, because their stories are just as valid, right? Who who actually fights and wins the war? It's not the leader. It's the guys that go and do it. Well, I will tell you, if there was a war on filming Amine products, we have fought it. And I think we have won it. We've had three episodes where we have just covered every aspect about filming Amines. The Scaling Up Nation has written in. They had so many questions. I cannot thank you so much for all the time that you've spent with each of us explaining what we need to know and continue to learn about filming Amines. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Meredith, thank you so much for all of the time that you spent with us, the Scaling Up Nation, letting us know so much about filming Amin products. I know there were a lot of questions out there. I know this is the longest topic that we've given to scaling up so far. There were just so many questions out there and Meredy is so fun and delightful to talk to. I wanted to make sure that we all had enough time to digest everything that we need to know. And just like Meredy said, this is a technology that's out there. And if you don't know about it, somebody else will know about it or somebody will ask you about it. So why not take the time like we just did over the past three episodes to make sure you understand the filming amine products? Well, folks, don't stop there. I've got some of the items that Meredy listed that you want to read on my show notes page. And then, of course, find somebody that you trust to work with. There are many vendors out there that are working with filming amines. Some import them, some manufacture them, but they all should be good resources to you and your company so you don't have to do this alone. All the questions that you have, they should be able to get you answers. And at the very least, they should be able to ask you questions so you can make sure that a product like a filming amine product is the right one for you. Folks, I got to thank the Scaling Up Nation again. It was because of all of the questions about filming amines that we had these last three episodes. So please keep those questions coming. If there is a guest that you want me to interview, or if there is a topic you want me to talk about, or if you have a direct question for me, please let me know. That's how I have a show each and every week, and that's how I can continue to bring you relevant information straight to the water treater. Folks, thanks for everything. Have a great week, and I'll see you next week on Scaling Up H2O.